The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Let's read um, following here in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. What a great passage. And I want you to know, if you've missed, uh, this is like our fourth week, and if you missed the first three weeks of walking through the book of Galatians, this was actually a really great week to start with us because the first couple verses in our passage this morning really is a summary of all that Paul has said up to this point. Paul is addressing people that have come into this church in Galatia and they're influencing these new Christians and they're influencing them with incorrect teachings. Paul calls them false brothers. They're false teachers. They're teaching Jesus plus something else as our basis for acceptance before God. And Paul wants to address them. So the people are asking the question, how do I become right with God? Maybe you've asked that question before. It's maybe even the most important question that you could ever ask yourself. How do I become right with God? And this word is called justification. You know, this may be a complicated word that you might not know, but it simply means our our right standing with God, or being justified before God. And the main question is, is the work of Christ enough for us to be justified before God, made right before God? These teachers, these false teachers are saying, no, we need something more. We need the work of Christ, but we also need the work and obedience and compliance to the law that he's given us. And Paul says, absolutely yes, this is enough. Jesus is enough. And these first two verses are a summary of what he said up to this point. God does not accept us or have fellowship with us based on our character, our obedience, our background, or even our potential to do good in life. And so God does not look on our stature, our personality, our character, or even think, okay, this person has a potential to do great things in life. God does not base his acceptance of us on those things. The main message that Paul wants to share with us is this. The righteousness of Christ is given to us by grace through faith. And there is nothing that you and I can do that can get more of God's acceptance than we already have in Christ. And this he calls is the truth of the gospel. This isn't an opinion. It's not just a denominational thing. He says this is the truth of the gospel. And anything that teaches otherwise is a false gospel. It is another gospel, and therefore no gospel at all. And let me give you some perspective on what these people are going through. You see, the Jewish people, 
they were given the laws of God, and God had given them these, these rules and these framework in order to live our life, and he called them to walk according to these laws, and they were numerous. They were almost innumerable, and they were centered. Their whole entire culture and life and faith was centered on the law of God. They ate and slept and, and dreamed and, and walked the laws of God to be a person, to be a, a person of God. To believe in God was to believe in His law and to walk in them. And so get, put yourself in their shoes. Everything you know about God is centered around the law of God. And Paul comes along and he says, No one is made right with God by doing any of these things. And God's acceptance of us is not based on any right doing of our own, but on Christ's right doing. So put yourself in that context, and you will realize that this is a very ridiculous thing for Paul to say. What are you talking about? We've been living our entire life to form ourselves according to right doing, and now you're saying that we are not made right? Like any attempt to please God through these things and be accepted is futile? You can understand why they hated him. You can understand why they eventually, he would eventually be killed because of these things. Those who weren't too excited about giving up their good performance, I mean, people had lived their whole life adhering to the law. They had done a lot of good things. They had made good decisions. They were able to list, here are the things that I do that God tells me to do, and I obey them. People weren't willing to just give that up and say, okay, this is, this is worthless to my acceptance with God. And so a lot of people were really angry about it. They say, well, what about me? What, if, what about what I already have done? Let me give you an example. Imagine for a moment that your, your favorite performer, your favorite athletic team, I mean, just picture in mind, if there were one person or team or performer that came to Tucson, and you had an opportunity to go to this concert or, or this ball game or, or see or visit this, your favorite person, and you said, I can't afford it. The ticket's really expensive. And so you decided for the next three months or four months, I'm going to you know, brew all my coffee at home and not go out to a coffee shop. I'm going to save money there. I'm going to take on extra hours at work. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to sell some things. I'm going to part with some possessions of mine. I'm going to raise money. I'm going to do whatever I can because this ticket is extremely expensive. But you want to go. You want to be there. And so you really change your life. You arrange your life to sacrifice and do whatever it takes to go and be a part of this experience that you want to be a part of. You save money. And then you request off work in order to go, knowing that you're going to lose even more money. And the day of the, of the event arrives, and you go down to the complex, you go down to the, um, the building, and you go, you're ready to give your ticket to the admission counter. And when you get there, you realize that the admissions office is giving away free tickets to everybody. And you're just, you're angry. Because you're saying, what, what about all that I have done and all that I have sacrificed in order to get in here? And now you're just giving it to people? You're just giving it away? And this is how it is with the people, the religious people, the religious leaders that saw this is what Paul is doing. Paul, you can't just do this. We've worked hard for this. You can't just start telling people that people are saved by grace. You can't tell them that, that no work of the law would, uh, would earn their acceptance before God. Because what does that say about all that we've done our entire life? 
you would think, these people are not going to appreciate all the, 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 the benefit of this ticket. They're not going to appreciate all the, the joy of being a part of this concert. They're not going to, they're going to be cheapening the value of all that I've done to get this ticket. And so it is with grace. And, and these critics are saying, you're teaching a cheap grace. Have you ever heard that phrase before, cheap grace? Maybe those words have even come out of your mouth before when you think about grace. And you say, well, that's, that's a cheap grace. And they're accusing Paul of having a cheap grace. That people, if they are just accepted by grace and no work of their own, own good doing, they're going to take advantage of it. They're going to think that they can do whatever they want and God will just love them no matter what. Paul addresses these concerns in verse 17, and he asks the question that everybody is asking. He says this, look at verse 17 again. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? For Paul to have to address this question shows us how confusing the issue of grace is uh, in the first century. For a first century Christian, they didn't get grace. They didn't understand how it works in the life of a person. They didn't comprehend what it would look like to live a life of faith that wasn't centered on good behavior. And I'm afraid even now in the 21st century, the problems are very similar. We, we have a hard time grasping what does it look like to live a life of faith where my life isn't centered on my good work and my good behavior. What would it look like to actually embrace and believe in this grace, this unmerited favor from God, and that no good of my own is worth anything to earn the acceptance of God. I don't even know what that would look like. But in the meantime, I'm just going to keep doing good and figuring this out. And this is what it was like for first century Christians. They didn't understand. They needed a portrait of this gospel-centered living. And so do we. And Paul gives it to us in this passage. Who do you know? I mean, think of a person. Who do you know? that lives a life with real gospel-centered living. I mean, really on grace, a grace-centered, a grace-focused, someone that lives their life in pursuit of God, trusting and resting in His grace, and everything about their life is based on His good work and not their own. They don't take advantage of it. They don't exploit it. Do you know anybody like that? I mean, honestly, I think I, I may know a couple people like that. You might have just a couple people or a very small handful of people that actually you look at their life and you say, that's what it means to know, to love, to rest in Jesus. And that's the problem. The first century didn't have, they didn't know, they didn't have a portrait of this. What does it look like? Because all I can comprehend in my mind is we either have to do things for God and be accepted or we receive grace and therefore we just become irresponsible. And neither of those things fit well in my mind. And Paul says, I agree. Neither of those fit well in my mind either. But here is a third way. And the third way is actually the real gospel-rooted living. And he shows us a portrait of himself. He shows us this in two verses. And go back to verse 19 and 20. I'll just re- I'll, I'll reread those. For, for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He explains that gospel-rooted living is in identity and conformity 
to the crucifixion of Christ. I want to give you a new word if you haven't heard it before, because it's, kind of, it's a made-up word. But I want it to become a word that is part of your vocabulary from here on out, forever. I, I want you to know what this word is, and that word is cruciformity. It's conformity to the crucifixion of Christ. Cruciformity. I want you to know when I, when I say that, that this becomes a part of your life, a part of your vocabulary, part of your belief, that you are conforming yourself, not to a system of good behavior, but conforming yourself to the work of Christ on the cross and understanding what does that mean? How does that flesh out in my life? And Paul is showing us this is what it looks like. The only way to live a gospel-centered life is to understand cruciformity. Cruciformity is identifying our life with Christ in his death, in his resurrection, and it is the key to gospel-rooted living. Cruciformity means fellowship with Christ. You know, the law of God was, was so strict. It was what the Bible says, and, and if you broke God's laws, I mean, it was a very bad thing. The problem is the law is very strict, and it still is, but all of us have broken God's law. And P, P, uh, Paul says, I died to the law so that I might live to Christ. And he's recognizing, I did in a time in my life try to pursue acceptance with God based on obeying the law. But since I found myself as a failure in that respect, now I must live my life on a different premise. I must live my life identifying with Christ based on his grace and not my good work. He says, I couldn't keep up with it. So now I live to God by faith. A person who understands this, a person who understands that they have failed to live up to what God has called us to live up to and now is living their life by faith in God and and what Christ has done, they will see that their life is wrapped up in fellowship with Christ. For many, growing in our, our faith means becoming a better person than we already are. And I'll take it a step further, and I, I'm guilty of this myself, and praying this prayer and seeing my life as this. I've prayed, God, would you make me the person that you want me to be? Or would you make me a better me? And if we pray for that and seek that and understand that in terms of, God, you've made me, and there's weakness in my life, there's some good things and some bad things, would you take out the bad things and just add to the good things. God is saying, that's not what I want to do. I want to kill you and raise you from the dead into a new person that isn't just conformed to a better person, a better view of yourself, but conformed to the image of Jesus. God is not interested in making us a, a, a better, a better Pete, a better Paul, a better Mary. He's concerned about making us a better or more like Christ, that our life would look like Jesus. And we see this throughout Galatians especially, this this image of crucifixion. And it's not only talking about what Christ did on the cross, but it's talking about the death of ourselves and the death of our sin and the resurrection of a a new life and a rebirth in Christ. You see this throughout Scripture where people people would say, I I need to lessen, there needs to be less of me and and more of of God. God is, is not wanting to make the best you that you can be. He's wanting you to be more like Jesus. And Paul says this. Here's the comment. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is the comment of a person who knows so well that my life and my faith with God is not 
based on my good behavior and character, but it's based on the life of Christ living through me and living out in me so that all that I do and think and feel is a manifestation of who Christ is more and more increasingly in my life. And as I grow as a believer, as I grow as a person trusting in God, I should increase in that behavior, increase in that manifestation. I should become formed more and more into the image of Christ. If we want to live a a gospel-centered faith, we must welcome the death of ourselves. And that's a hard thing to do. And what does this mean, welcoming the death of ourselves? It means that we present our sins to God. That we, you know, it it is so easy to eagerly give God all of our good things, isn't it? It's easy to go to God and say, look at the good that I did. Look at, the, look at the, habits, the good habits I formed. Look at my honesty. Look at my good efforts. But it's very hard to go to God and say, look at the bad. Here are the bad that I, that I bring to you. Here's the rotten stuff. Here's the sin. Here's the self-righteousness. Here's the hypocrisy. Here's the lust. Here's the pride. Here are the things. Here are the sins, and I'm coming and giving it to you. And God says to us in return, those are the only things that I want. Those are the only things that you could give me that are worth any value at all. Think about that. To realize our inadequacy, to present anything to God that that could merit his love is just futile. And so the remedy, we think about how do I grow as a Christian? How do I grow in my faith and improve my faith? Many, Many answers would be try harder. But Paul would say it's not about trying harder, but it's about dying harder. See what I did there? I think Bruce Willis is coming out in a new movie called that, Dying Harder. Is, this is the life of faith. This is what it means to know Christ, to have his life live through us. It's not about you messed up, try harder, but you messed up and, and let, that, let Christ kill that in your life. Bring it to God and, and put it on the altar. Let him kill it. Bring your sin and all your, your junk to God. Is there something in your life that, that brings you shame? Something in your life that brings you just humbled and, and, and it makes you feel like, man, I really wish that that wasn't a part of my life. I really wish that I wasn't like that. This is the thing, the, the exact thing that Christ wants to kill in you. He doesn't want to nurture it. He doesn't want to shape it. He doesn't want to um, manipulate it or manage it. He actually wants to kill it and put something new in its place. He wants to put his power, his image his character in place of that. And so when we think that, I just need to get better at, at being better, we've got it wrong. Paul doesn't say, I really want to make an effort to identify with Christ. He doesn't say, I, I want to have the intention to live my life on Christ. What does he say? He says, I have identified with Christ, with him, and with his death. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is a real relationship. And Paul is showing us what this real relationship with God looks like. That it's not just an inching of getting closer and being more loved by him and being a better person in in our own right or being better than some of the people around us. It's not about checking a box. It's about identifying with Christ letting him crucify my sin and and give me a new birth where he is living out of my life. 
and the confidence that what kind of confidence would it take for someone to say that I don't live anymore Christ lives in me does that mean that Paul was perfect it doesn't he would even admit that he says I'm the chief of all sinners but his life and his motivation and his pursuit of loving God and being accepted by God is not based on him but it's based on Christ When we have fellowship with Christ, our our circumstances may be the same, but our motivation is is radically different. We live our lives and everything in them to know Him more, to enjoy Him more, to glorify Him in what we do. And it's not complicated why we do this. And Paul says this, and Paul says some really, really complicated stuff, doesn't he? There's some phrases that he says that are just, what does this mean? I need to get like ten commentaries. I need to go to the original language. I need to pick it apart. And then he says some things that are actually so simple that a child can understand. Verse 20. Why does he do this? Look at the second part. And I live my life in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Why? Who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, Paul's theology is so complicated that, it can, it, that scholars dedicate their entire lives to understanding what he means. It is so complicated, it could fill the entire life of a, of a biblical scholar, and yet simple enough for a child to understand. What is at the root of all this? What is the basis for our acceptance with God? He loves us and gave himself for us. If the answer to your reason why you should be accepted before God is anything else, you do not fully embrace the gospel. You do not understand the gospel and good news of the scriptures. He gave himself for me. He loved me. He did fully what I was incapable of doing myself. And we don't acknowledge this enough. I don't acknowledge it enough. It's a tender moment that I see in in Paul's theology. Isn't it tender? He says, Jesus loves me. I love him. He gave himself for me. And we don't say that enough. How often do you say that? I love Jesus. If it's true, then you should say it, that it should be tender. It should be a part of your theology that you love him and are motivated by that love to have his life live out through you. He desires to accomplish in us, Jesus desires to accomplish in us, in our own lives, what he accomplished on the cross. And here's the point of conflict that a lot of us find ourselves in as we're trying to live a life of faith and pursue Jesus. We say, Jesus, I will follow you. I trust you. I believe in you. I'll follow you anywhere. And then Jesus says to us in turn, he says, okay, I want to go here. I want to go to this place in your heart. I want to go to this pride. I want to go to this selfishness. I want to go to this, this thing in your life that does not look like me. And then we say to him, oh, I didn't know that that was what it was going to be about. I didn't know that you were going to get that deep. I didn't know that you were going to stir up the waters and make it that muddy. And, and Jesus says it's all about that. The gospel is all about death and resurrection. It's all about the crucifixion and killing sin and being risen to new life, to righteousness in Christ. It is all about sin dying and righteous living. Do you remember Peter? You might not remember this story, but it's a, it's a, common, it's a common narrative in the gospel story where Peter 
goes to Christ and he says, I will, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And Jesus looks to Peter and says, that's not true, you're going to deny me three times before I die, before I'm crucified. You're going to deny me before people. You're going to be ashamed of me. You will choose comfort in your life over sacrifice for me. And he says, no, that's not true, I'll go anywhere. And it's true, it comes out, it, it, it fleshes out, we see it feathered out, and, and, and Peter denies Christ before man three times, and he is ashamed. And we see that Jesus would love him in spite of that, that he would accept him and receive him in spite of that, that he would die for him. And Peter, we see the portrait of Peter's life as it's, as it's lived out, and Peter would come to a point where he finally realizes what it means to live a life of cruciformity, that he would learn to live a life where Christ is living out of him. And do you know when, Paul, or when Peter was brought up on charges of preaching the gospel, and he was killed. He was crucified. And they were about to crucify him as they crucified Christ, and he said, don't crucify me like that. I don't want to be crucified like Jesus. I want to be crucified upside down. And they crucified Peter upside down on the cross. He said, I'm not worthy of being crucified like that. He understood so deeply in his being what it meant to live a life identifying with the crucifixion of Christ, where he received it, trusted in it, where it became the basis of, of his entire life. And this is the process that, that we too need to be on, not perfect, but consistently yielding our will to Christ, allowing him to search our heart, to kill sin in our life, to expose those things, to expose ways in which we are believing a, a false gospel, where we are prone to say, Christ died for me, and that's the first layer of my salvation. I trust in Jesus, but I have to maintain then a life by works. I need to maintain his love, maintain his acceptance by all the things that I do. The God, you cannot get the gospel without suffering. But that's okay. Because here's another thing that cruciformity means. Cruciformity means hope in Christ. Cruciformity never ends with the curse of death. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? He's saying, you have nothing. Death has nothing on me because Christ has been crucified and resurrected. And so cruciformity, identifying with Christ, it might make us think, well, this is scary. This is scary work to really allow God to come into our life to address sin. I mean, this is painful. What if I miss out? What if I give up on things and eventually I, I miss out on living a life that, I, that would bring me great joy and happiness? It's scary to sacrifice. It's scary to give up things that make us comfortable. But there is no greater identity to take on than that of Christ. And what Christ has proven to us is that death has no hold, that there is always hope, that death is not the ultimate curse for a believer. You know, fixing our, our problems and trying to get to a better stage in life and be a better us is like fixing a flat tire with another flat tire. You know, having a flat on the side of the road and going in and finding the spare and seeing that it is too flat and saying, that's okay, I'll put it on and everything will be fine. You know, trying to fix us with us is like doing the same thing. We are, the, we are the problem. And we need the power of Christ to work through us. 
I can't tell you how many times like the power goes out at home and it's pitch black and I go into the next room and I need to find something and so I flip the switch thinking that the light should come on and I keep forgetting. I say, well, well duh, the, the, the power's off. And so I go to another room to find uh, so a flashlight and I flip the switch on to find a flashlight. And I say, well, duh, have you ever tried to find your phone by calling your phone with your phone? That's what this is like. It's like saying, come on, this doesn't work. You can't fix a problem with the same problem. You you know what I'm talking about. Where's my phone? I'll I'll just call it. Oh, I don't have a phone. So there needs to be a power that needs to work through us, apart from us, to grow in gospel-rooted living. And it doesn't flow out from us. It flows from Christ and his righteousness. Our hope for gospel growth comes from the power of Christ in us. Here's Paul's cruciformity. Here's how he lived out his cruciformity. And it probably will look a lot different for us, but some ways it'll look similar. You see, Paul would go into the synagogues and he would preach this grace-centered gospel. That our acceptance before God is not based on any merit of our own. And they would bring him up on charges. And they would whip him. And he said, five times I was given the 40 minus 1. The 40 minus 1. I mean, I think this was like a phrase, a 40 minus 1 of lashes. Because they determined that it would take 40 lashes to kill a man. And this is what they gave Jesus before he was crucified. 40 minus 1. And Paul says, I got that five times. Just close to dying. And then they stopped. Right before it would dig one more lash and I would be dead. He said, they didn't stop until then. They put me in a circle and threw stones at me and tried to kill me. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten with sticks. He's saying, this is my cruciformity. And so Paul is saying, you're accusing me of cheap grace. You're saying that I am being a sinner because I am preaching only, only salvation by the grace of God. He's saying, I'm actually preaching the most expensive grace there is. Not based on anything that we can bring, but but what Christ bought. Because what did it cost for us to be saved by grace? It cost the blood, sweat, and tears in the very life of Jesus Christ. He's saying, this is not cheap at all. This is very expensive. And when we trust in God, and we embrace this gospel, and we rest in Him, the life of Christ is being lived out in us. We are becoming like him. We are conforming, not to a better version of ourself, a future hope of ourselves. We're conforming to the image of Jesus. And we can live our life in, in one of two ways. From this day forward, we can live our life identifying ourselves with the law. Saying our acceptance is based on our compliance to doing good. Our acceptance before God is based on being the person we know we should be. Or we live this life identifying with Christ. Our acceptance is is based on the work of Christ applied to our lives by faith. And it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. We trust in God. We are joined to Christ. And this is the life that is lived out. Think about your life. Think about what it would look like for you to live a cruciform life. To look into your heart and say, God... This needs to be killed. There's something in here that needs to be killed and replaced with you. And I keep trying to fix my problems with me, but I'm the problem. I need your power to be made perfect in my weakness. 
I need to bring my sin to you. I need to stop bringing my good work, my good ambition, my good intention, and I need to bring my sin to you without any hindrance, unashamed, and say, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Thank you.